When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join Jessica Smith on the Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds, shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. So things are hard. We have to make a decision. We know we just can't stay in California. There's, this is it. Like, we're going to lose everything. So, like I said, we, we know Chicago is not an option, right? This is where I'm from. This is where my whole family is. But there is no way that Will is moving to Chicago for so many reasons. And you know, Chicago, I tell people this, even though that is my hometown, you know, my friends, family, because of how I grew up, I really never felt like it was home. I really never felt a real connection. You know how you have a connection with where you're from that just feels like home. That's where your life started. And maybe because of what I was born into, I knew it wasn't right. I knew it didn't feel right. And I never stayed there long because I'd get up and run to Kentucky, come back, run back and forth. So Never felt like home, and I hate the cold weather. I really do not like. I'm always cold. I do not like cold weather, and I would not care if I never saw a snowflake again in my life. I just don't like the cold. And I remember when we went to California the first time to visit, I just instantly fell in love. And some people say, I just have to be somewhere where there's four seasons. And there's seasons in California, at least in the Bay Area, where we were, you know, in the wintertime, uh, the leaves still fell. It got, you know, colder and it rained. And, you know, so to me, it, it there was definitely seasons, but it just didn't get really cold like it does in Chicago. So I had no desire to go back to Chicago. And so we started down our journey of praying again, Lord, help us. What are we going to do? And the crazy thing about that season, when I think back and Will reminds me, and when he tells the story, he quit drinking and I didn't even know. 
So he stopped drinking about, I think it was uh, about nine months before we left California. And I think I didn't know for a couple of reasons. One, because like I said, it wasn't like this man, you know, drink every day and sometimes not even every week. So it wasn't that it was very often. So it went unnoticed, but there was so much going on in that season. So much going on in that season that I guess when I let it go and I gave it to God, I let it go. And then I was just so overwhelmed and so consumed that this next storm was even happening that he quit because he didn't announce it for whatever reason. And he just went on that journey, just him and God. And I am so, so proud to say that he has never looked back since I couldn't tell you when his last actual drink was, but I know that he has had zero slip-ups. And it's weird because, you know, as I've told this story and shared the memories, it's hard for me to even connect that person to who he is today because it's just totally normal for me to say, oh, my husband doesn't drink. And I think recently he started to share his story a little more with others and become, you know, more comfortable talking about it. And again, his from his pers- perspective, it sounds different. And, you know, I, I tell everybody it, it's, it's your story. Tell it the way you want. This is my story. This is from my perspective, from my lens, what it felt like, what it looked like. And that was my reality. But I am just so thankful. First and foremost, I am thankful for Gwen taking that call that day, taking the time to talk to me and pray with me. I'm thankful for her and her mom taking the time to pray for this man and this family that they didn't even know. And I'm thankful for my husband to have been at the same time. See, that's where I think that it really happens. I think the the uh, magic, if you will, it happened not just because I was praying for him or Gwen or Mrs. Shepherd was praying for him, but that at the same time, he was praying for himself and he was asking God to free him 
from this thing that my belief is that he was born into, that he, that he had inherited. And I'm just thankful. So the bottom line is I was so consumed with the next storm. That's how I feel. That's how I feel my life is always the next storm. And the storms keep coming. As I continue to tell my story, you will see the storms keep coming. But I'm thankful for them as well because what it has done is it has allowed me to just have this sense of grit that there is no way that this thing can be taught. The only way to be able to weather the storm, how I've been able to weather the storm is to just fight through it every time. Doesn't make it easy, but I understand what I have to do through every storm. And it always passes. It always passes. So I'm just thankful. So during this distraction, Will gets his sobriety and he stops drinking and he never looks back and we are trying to figure out what in the hell are we going to do? Because like I said before, we're bleeding out, we're running out of money and it is costing a lot of money every month that we stay. So we're praying, we're having faith, we're believing. And Will really, um, he, he really was there for me. He really kept my head up. He would just encourage me. He would just speak life and just tell me, like, remind me of where I came from. And he just reminded me of everything that I had fought through and made it through. And why did I think this time would be any different? And, you know, recently I had to, like recently, like when the last week or so, as I have been sharing my story, because oftentimes as I'm sharing these things with the world, oftentimes it's the first time that I'm actually saying it out of my mouth out loud since it all occurred and it hit me and I said to him, you know, I just want to apologize because for so many years, I didn't realize that I was speaking death over you and your life. 
I didn't even know that. I had no idea. I would get so angry and so frustrated and I was so disappointed. And the things that I said to him were not good. And he never did that. And I apologized. And I'm not good with apologies. So I was really proud and it just it just came over me in that moment and I was just thinking it I I finished recording an episode and I'm like damn how did I not realize that that was not helpful but you know what just like sometimes we have to be reminded and we give our parents grace when we think about the things that they did or didn't do or allowed and we have to take a step back and say you know what Yeah, they could have done better. But how would they know? How would they know what to do? How did they know how to be a good mom or be a good dad if they didn't have one? You don't just figure it out. Another thing I'm thankful for is three boys that are all 10 years apart. And I hope and pray that each one of them had a very different experience of a mother. There are some things that are pretty consistent. I'm me, but I really hope that they all three, 10 years apart. And I hope that I, that my growth and my development showed with every son. So I didn't know how to be a wife. How would I know? No one taught me how to be a wife. And definitely not one that could support someone going through what he was going through. I had no idea. And I also reflected on, he spoke life. I was... I was just, I was broken and I was, I was angry. I didn't understand it. It's weird because, you know, sometimes people say that they get angry with God and they question, why me? Why is this happening? I never, I I have never in my worst days, I have never done that. I've been angry but not angry to the point where I'm angry with God or I ask him, why me? Why are you? I I, I don't know why, but I am angry. And most of the time I'm angry with myself because I reflect on what could I have done? And I always feel like there's something, there has to be a lesson that is learned in this. And during that time, I felt like, How stupid. You should have known. You should have gotten your education. You were making all that money. You had the, you could have made the time just in case because you never know what might happen. And I put all my eggs in one basket and it went away. Went away. And it wasn't in my control. And I couldn't work my way out of it. I couldn't just work more hours and work more days. There was nothing I could do. 
but pray. But pray. So, one of our sales guys in California, um, he used to get mad because I, I, I said I was Michael Jordan. He was uh, Scottie Pippen. But he had a twin brother who worked at Cox. And we were trying to figure out, okay, where are we going to go outside of Chicago? Where else do I have family? By this time, my sister Monique, my sister Nicole, and Frank had already made his way here because he knew that I was coming. So this is this is this is our choices. This will that is this is what's gonna be. And I remember there was an article in the Forbes magazine. And that's where, because at first, Will was like, Atlanta? No, uh-uh, not doing it. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's it was just him. Um, and it was me a little bit too. I really never spent any time in Atlanta. There was just something that we thought, I, I, I can't even tell you where, where it came from, but we just had a negative thought of Atlanta for some reason. So, I found this article in Forbes magazine and I remember bringing it to his attention. I said, look, babe, there's this article and it says that the greater Atlanta area is predicted to be the next Silicon Valley in the next 10 years. And he was like, yeah, right. And I'm like, look. So he read the article and, you know, it just talked about the movie industry. It talked about um, the tech industry and all the housing market, all of this, but um, it, it started to open his mind. And so um, Quincy says, hey, my brother works for Cox. And I'm like, okay, what what the hell is Cox? And he's like, yeah, you know, Cox Automotive is a big company. And so he calls his brother, and he says, hey, you know, you know what's going on, situation with the company, Jessica's going to be moving to Atlanta. Do you think that you can get her an interview, help her out? And he's like, yeah, you know, go online and look at the jobs and, you know, see what you see that might fit you. And I'll see if I can at least have the recruiter call you back for a screening. This process I'll tell you, was beyond painful. Now, remember, at this point, the job that I've been at for almost 19 years, I got that job when I found an ad in the Chicago Reader. I called the number set up an appointment for an interview, went to the interview, and the job was offered to me. I started the next day. That 
is the extent. Now I've had little odd jobs here and there for a week or two in between that one, but that's that's how you found a job. Well, this whole corporate America thing, and this was my first experience, a nightmare. I'm talking about these, I didn't get a call back from the recruiter. I'm calling this dude like, hey, haven't heard from the recruiter, back and forth. This thing went on for months. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I need a job. So I ended up flying out to Atlanta on my own dime, going through the interview process. And I was feeling very confident. This was a role for an inside sales manager. Salary was exactly where I needed it to be. Based on my skills and experience. And it's Atlanta. It's cheaper to live here. I'm good. And I remember getting out of the interview. And I want to say there was... I was I was I was here 2 days the first day I met with all of the other managers in like a panel style interview and then the next day I came back and met with the director and the senior director over the team I left there the cool thing about it was the senior director was actually a member of direct buy. So she was very familiar with what I had done. I left there and I just knew I'm like, I got it. I called Will up and I'm like, I got it. He's like, they offered you the job. I was like, no, not exactly. But I, I got it. I feel very confident and I think they're going to call me. So I got a call from the hiring manager that evening and he says to me, hey, I'm not sure if it's too late. He left a message or something, but he says, "I, I just have one question for you. One question. One thing that we didn't talk about is that this particular manager role is for the West Coast. Therefore, with the time difference, you would actually come in a little later and stay a little later. I just wanted to see whether or not that would be a problem for you. And I said, listen, I just spent almost 20 years working until 10, 11 o'clock or later, six, seven days a week on the weekends. I said, hours are no problem for me. And having the West Coast market, I mean, 
uh, I'm in California now, so um, very familiar with uh, Californians. And so he laughed. He said, just what I wanted to hear. Perfect. Thank you very much. And you should be seeing an offer soon. Goodbye. I call Will. I said, babe, I told you I got it. He said, they, get, they, they, they sent you an offer. I said, well, no, no, not, not exactly. But this is what occurred. And I told him, he was like, yes, yeah, you got it. You got it. Got back on the plane, went back to California. Now, by this time, we had already sold our condo in Santa Clara. We're living off of that money, okay? And we have our new home, which we already know we're going to be screwed because it's less than two years so we sell this home and we got to pay capital gains. So we again, our situation was not good. But we had to put the house up for the market. What, what are we going to do? No one has a job. We have no money. We're, we're, we got to go. So the next day after I returned back to California, I said, well, let's just do it. We put our house was up, uh, had just been up on the market. We got an offer, which was over asking price. I'm like, this is beautiful. This is great. Thank you, Lord. Let's take it. Let's do it. So it happened very fast. We closed on the house. As a matter of fact, the buyers said they were good with uh, waiving inspection. I mean, this was a, a brand new home, right? So everything happened fast. I'm like, let's go, let's do it. We get here maybe like literally like two two weeks later. And we're initially, we were staying with Monique my little sister, and she lived in Duluth right outside of Atlanta. And I really liked the area. It was very similar. So we always picked areas. Diversity is number one for us. We don't believe doesn't matter how much money we have. We're not doing a private school. We want to be in an area that is diverse. We want our children to go to school with people from all walks of life. That's just been something we've always been big on and very intentional. So the particular area, um, Duluth, and the area that I really liked and I wanted to be in felt very much so like our neighborhood in California. The neighborhood had everything you could imagine. Indians, whites, Asians, black, everything. And I love that. So we knew, obviously, we were going to be renting. So we looked at schools and neighborhoods. And I came first 
actually. And I remember setting up all of these appointments, going to see these different places. And there was a gated community. The guy that owned the home lived in China. There was a real estate agent that was showing the home. So I go to meet with her and I said, this is perfect. This is enough room. It's in a gated community. Great. And she had me fill out all the paperwork. And then she was kind of just acting weird, beating around the bush. And finally, I'm like, you know, like, what's, what's the problem? Like, I want it. And she said, no, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, you don't you don't qualify. I said, what do you mean? She said, you and your husband's credit score is not high enough to qualify to live in this neighborhood. Now, I know those are the words that she used, but I was able to identify that there was a language barrier. So I I don't think she meant it exactly how it came out. Let me just say that. However, it did not change the fact that I was um, I was upset. I was embarrassed. Like, remember, you know, learning about credit scores and buying my first house at 20. Like, all of that was something I was so proud of. I had a credit score over 800. I had a black card. Like this was stuff that I was just proud of because I worked hard and I was financially responsible and I did all the right things. I'm already feeling broken. I get a little glimpse of, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm sitting in front of this lady and she's looking at me and she's judging me and she just told me that I don't qualify to live in this neighborhood because of my credit score. So I said, listen, I said, um, you know, you you ask for a application to do a credit report. A credit report consists of something more than just a score, just a number. It tells a story. And if you look at that story, you will see that we have owned multiple homes, home ownership. I have never in 15 years ever been late on a payment, a mortgage, a credit card. I've had luxury cars with $1,000 payments. Like I, I went in and I said, Look at the story. My husband and I lost our jobs. We fell in a hardship and we couldn't we couldn't pay. I said, "But I have a job now here. We have money still. We can pay the rent." I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh you don't qualify. I said, "Oh, okay." And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what. I have two questions for you." I don't remember. I want to say the rent was maybe like, I don't know, 2500 or something like that a month. I said, my first question is, if I pay the whole year's rent up front, what discount are you offering? And then the second question is, will I qualify then? And she's like, I don't understand. I said, you don't understand. Let me help you out. 
pulled out my calculator. I don't know what it was, 35000 37000 I'll write you a check for 37000 today for the year's rent. Do I qualify to live in this neighborhood now? Oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I have to call the owner. She leaves me in the office probably for a good 15 minutes. Maybe it just felt that way. It was a long time. And she comes back and she says, well, after your check clears, then we can finalize all of the paperwork. I said, oh, okay. Who do I make the check out to? Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.